Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to the Healing Herb Podcast. This is your grief expert and friend, Ashley Lemieux. I actually have butterflies right now. Oh my gosh. Welcome to episode one of the Healing Her podcast. I'm Ashley Lemieux, and I am seriously so excited, thrilled, honored, out of my mind, (laughs) to the moon, overjoyed, that we get to have this special intentional podcast space together so that we can come together at the end of the day or the start of the day after all the craziness of life and have conversations that make us feel like we are surrounded by a supportive community, that we can have tools for more healing, that we can feel understood and less alone. And it is truly an honor that you have chosen to spend your time with me. Man, there are some of you who have been in this community, honestly, for a decade. I have been on the internet now for well over a decade before social media even existed. And I kind of feel like I'm on a first date with you right now because there's some of you who this is the very first time you're hearing from me or about me. And some of you, you've been around since the blog days, since I had my little blog that I began writing on in hopes that maybe my mom and her friends would read it. And there's been a lot that has happened between then and now that have led us here. And so I wanted to just take some time to catch you up a little bit on my background and story because In order to understand where we're going, it's important to know where I've been so that you can trust this girl who is going to be in the front seat doing interviews of the podcast that you're decompressing and listening to at the end of the day in your car. And if you've landed here, you probably are here because you've seen one of my posts on social media, on Instagram specifically, or maybe one of your friends sent over something for you to read or look at that I have posted in hopes that maybe it would resonate with you or support you in some way. So of all the things that you have seen or not seen on social, there's a bigger story that you might not know about me. And That is because the last 10 years, I have gone through a lot of loss, a lot of grief, a lot of unexpected trauma, if you will, in my life. And I'm not going to dump that all on you today. That's not my intention here. But I want to give you just a little background so that you know where I'm coming from throughout our time together. I'm a grief expert, both by my own personal things that I've gone through and also because I have a master's in mental health and wellness with an emphasis in grief and bereavement. And you know 
nothing screams, I'm a big ball of fun, invite me to your next girl's night. Like being an expert in the one thing that nobody ever wants to talk about, which is grief. But my situations in life that I'm gone through have turned me into the big ball of fun (laughs) that I am today. So I'm going to peel back that curtain just a little bit on this first episode. What I am hoping and what I really want for the Healing Her podcast is that every Tuesday this community gathers and we answer some of life's hard questions that feel complicated, but really if we can just sit with it and share stories and tools and actionable items that we can take away and apply to our lives, healing feels less complicated because we have the support that we need. And that's what I want for this community. And I hope that every Tuesday you join me and other women around the world here in your safe place to be able to share your story and to hear other stories. I believe that sharing our stories brings healing because it gives voice to our pain. It gives us the ability to move forward. It brings connection. A lot of time grief happens in loneliness and isolation, and then we need connection to help us feel supported through it. There's some things that have happened in the past decade of my life that are really difficult for me to talk about, and I'm just going to give a brief overview of it because of how hard it still is for me to talk about. I myself am a huge believer in therapy, and I am a professional in the grief space who also is still in therapy from things that have happened years ago. So when I talk about being on this healing journey together, I think a lot of times we view and we want healing to be a final destination, but really it's a journey. And it's a journey that ebbs and flows and changes. And some days are really great and some days are really hard. But the point of healing is that when we are doing the work and we are listening to what our soul wants and needs, we never start from day one again. It's not possible. We never return to day one again, even if it feels so hard because all along, All the while through your journey, you're gathering new tools and you're learning and you're changing and you're shifting. And that's what healing is. It's being able to show up differently than you were able to show up yesterday or a week ago. Because as I always say, healing is not one big moment. It is consistent movement forward. And that consistent movement forward is something that I have been working on every day for the past 10 years and has led me to this place in my life where talking about the hard stuff is one of my biggest values because I know that it is in talking and sharing with each other that we find connection and that we find healing and I believe that it's your time to feel it. So one of the really difficult parts of my life is that I have been a mother to four children, but you'll only see one of them with me. The first time I became a mom, I was in my mid-20s. During that time, kids were not on our radar at all. We were both just out of college. I was building my company, The Shine Project. 
My husband was an assistant manager at a grocery store. We had just moved into our first little house in downtown Phoenix. And we had been married, I think it was probably about two years. And we were just really in the throes of the beginning of our careers, having no idea what we were doing. And so kids were not even a part of the conversation. The long story, very short, is that through a family connection, through someone that we personally knew, we were asked to raise two kids who we had known and to become their permanent guardians. So overnight, imagine us, imagine yourself in your mid-20s going from not having any kids to two humans overnight. And at that time, uh, they were three and five years old. And It was one of the most magical, hardest, joyful, sorrowful, so many emotions in that transition time between going from a family of two to a family of four, literally overnight. I remember I called one of my friends and I was like, what do you feed kids? What do they eat? How often do they eat? What kind of snacks do I get them? When do they go to bed? How do I register for kindergarten? Like, there's just so many things. And the adjustment period was hard, as one could imagine, but it was beautiful, as one would hope. And I'm just so grateful for that responsibility and that opportunity that I had to be their mother. We were a family and and operated as a family in every single sense of the word for four years. And all of us believed that we would be a family forever. During that time, we moved closer to my parents so that they could help with the kids more. And, you know, they're fully integrated into the community, into their schools, into activities and and friends. And it didn't take too long to find our footing as, you know, this family of four now. And some of my favorite, most special memories are the memories that we were able to share together. And I treasure them so, so much. I haven't talked about this for a while and it brings up so much emotion because it's a part of life that I miss, that I grieve, that I wish we still had, that I hope everyone heals from at some point in their lives. And I mean, I hope everyone involved heals from it at some point in their lives. And it's an act of grief because... They still are alive and existing in the world, but we no longer are with them. While we were permanent guardians for so many years, we unexpectedly experienced a very unexpected contested adoption, and that sent us into a court battle for two years. And those two years destroyed me. Unless you've been in court before, I think in any circumstance, I can't explain how brutal it is. I can't explain how anxiety-ridden it is. I can't explain how damaging it is to one's soul. (laughs) And who I was as a person changed drastically during those two years throughout our whole core experience, which I'm not going to get into detail about. But the thing that my husband and I kept saying to everyone involved was, we only want what is best for the kids. 
We support what is best for the children. We support what is needed for the kids. That was the consistent theme of court. But the process is very complicated. During the end of our two years in court, there was a time where I was going out of town. We had just celebrated Christmas together as a family and the new year. And I had a big work event on the other side of the country. At that time, I was running a product-based business. I was running a jewelry company. We were sold in stores all across the country. We had just gotten a huge order from Hallmark stores. And so I was also trying to navigate all of the grief that I was having in my personal life while being a 20-something-year-old entrepreneur. And I was in over my head doing the best I could. And I had stopped traveling for work, but we had a really big trade show coming up. It's called America's Marts in Atlanta every January. And we'd put a lot of advertising money into it. And I had been asked to speak to all these retailers. And it was a really good opportunity, not just professionally, but personally to have something to take my mind off of the pain that was happening in my personal life just for a couple of days felt Like it was something I just needed to reclaim for myself. So I decided I was going to go. I left and, you know, everyone was kind of heightened anxiety at that time. And the kids were like, when are you going to be home? When are you going to be home? And I'm like, I'm going to see you in two days. We can FaceTime every night. And this is the part of my life that I want to skip over. But it's the part of my life where everything was pulled out from underneath me. And I had to figure out who I was again for the years after this. Right before I left on that work trip, an emergency court hearing was called and it was like a status update type of thing, which meant that there weren't going to be any big changes made. We were preparing for a bigger court date the next month. And so our attorney was like, go on your trip. You don't need to be there. Your husband can come. It's going to be okay. Just go. And so I left in confidence that everything was going to be okay, but I also left feeling like something was really off, but it was hard to pinpoint because everything felt so off at that point in our lives that I just thought I was having even more anxiety. But I remember when my husband and the kids dropped me off at the airport, my little girl who I had been raising for four years looked at me and she started crying and she said, why do I feel like this is the last time I'm going to see you? And I said, I promise I will see you in two days. And that's something I regret. Because during that court hearing, it was decided that uh, the children were going to be returned to a biological family member. And I was not given time to come back home. When I was in Atlanta and got the call from my husband that I was to write a goodbye letter to both kids that they were going to be putting into their backpacks the next day and that my husband then was going to drop them off at school and they would be picked up by a state worker um, and then delivered the news later. I can't tell you what that does to your brain, to your heart, to your soul, to your humanity as a mom whether biological or not, when you have raised someone who you love unconditionally with every inch 
of your being to know the pain that is about to be coming for them and the pain that they had already endured and not be able to stop it or help or be there, that changes you. So I wrote him a goodbye letter and we FaceTimed that night. We were instructed not to tell the kids what was going on, which which is like psychology 101. Now looking back, any professional would know that that's the worst way to handle anything that is going on with children. They need to be told. They need to be prepared by people who they love and trust. But it was out of our hands. And that was the last time we ever saw them. And I get asked a lot if we have contact now. And we do not. But I will say that that door on my end will always be open. I will always be receptive to hearing from two humans who I love and respect and have nothing but the best hopes and dreams and wishes for. And after that profound loss in our lives, we didn't know what to do. We we had been caught in the chaos of court for a couple years and then to have things and how they did took any light, took any good parts of our lives and just dimmed them out, just flushed them away. And life felt like we were living in a dark cave and they didn't know how to get out of it. So we did what anyone trying to run from their grief would do. And we sold everything that we owned and we put our house up for rent and we moved across the country from Phoenix to Nashville, Tennessee, where we tried to figure out how to rebuild our lives. During that time, I made a lot of business decisions that were so hard, but also that I needed to so that I could pivot to try to find and uncover myself again. I felt like life had literally buried me alive. I was going through severe panic attacks, through severe anxiety, through severe depression. And I knew that I had to make drastic life decisions in every aspect of my life for me to be able to even just function as a normal person. And that took a couple of years of, of so much hard work. Like I, it's hard for me to go back to that place. You can probably tell from me just talking like I, my breath is heavy. My heart is racing right now. I am still in EMDR therapy from the events that occurred, from events that I don't even talk about, from just the actual heartbreak and PTSD and severe trauma and complicated grief that all of that has brought into my life. So we lived in Nashville for a couple of years and my husband and I didn't know if we could stay married after that. Grieving with your spouse is so hard, especially when it changes you as people. And so that became the next chapter of 
how do we move forward? How do we stay together when we don't even know who we are individually anymore? That took everything out of us. I, I don't have anything left to give you. And we entered this season of, and I, I think it was so helpful. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we were able to move across the country. It was actually really scary because in order to make that move, my husband had to leave a really steady job actually with Disney <laughs> that uh, required him to be in LA and they wanted him to move there full time. So we were deciding between moving to LA or Nashville and LA just didn't feel right for us. And there was really nothing tying us to Nashville. And it meant that he would need to start his own company. And every and we were like, you know what? Everything else has lit up in flames in our life. Let's just let's just see if this works. Because honestly, at this point, we don't have much left to lose. And we started figuring things out little by little and tier by tier and heartache by heartache trying to rebuild our life and that became my question of how do you rebuild after loss how do you rebuild after profound tragedy how do you rebuild when you don't want to when you're too tired to and through that process I would meditate I would pray I would do every everything humanly possible to start trying to find answers to my life because I looked at myself in the mirror one day and staring back at me was this girl who I did not recognize anymore. She looked lifeless. She looked like someone had taken a vacuum and sucked out every good, wholesome, happy, joyful thing about her. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and running to my husband and saying, I do not want to wake up at the end of my life having regretted living it because I was too sad to participate in it. And so I started adding more therapy and I I started adding more quietness in, which was really hard at first because grief is really loud when it's quiet. And I had to learn how to sit with my grief in a way where it could teach me instead of making me so afraid and so anxious all the time. After two years in Nashville, we then decided that we wanted to be back by my family. Uh, before that, we didn't know if we wanted to have kids. Again, uh, we were still very much healing, very much trying to figure out what life was going to be. And so we moved back to Phoenix and I was 34 now at this point and we decided it was time to have more children and we were ready for that phase in our life so it was 2019 we get pregnant really quickly at the end of 2019 and we are so excited for this new chapter we're back in phoenix we find out that we're pregnant so then we buy our dream home which we were so grateful to have and the day the week that we were moving into it it's March 2020 and Phoenix has just shut down because of the pandemic. I'm 16 weeks pregnant and part of me was like, okay, we're going to be okay. We're going to kind of cocoon in our house and get it all moved in and set up. I remember being afraid because the movers were in masks and I was nervous because everything was still so unknown, but that was the state of the world that we were living in. 
at that time of my pregnancy. The next day, I had started the day out feeling really good. And I had gone on a walk with my mom and we were planning the nursery. And then all of a sudden, closer to the evening, I started not feeling right. I started feeling like maybe I was getting some type of UTI, but I'd like never get those. And so I didn't really know. And then the pain moved into my shins and my calves and I tried to go to bed. And you have to remember at this time, going to the doctor, going to the hospital was very scary because again, the pandemic was just shutting things down and nobody knew what was going on yet. So part of me was like, do I go to the hospital or urgent care? But also I felt safer being at home. And I was like, I'll call my OB in the morning and, you know, we'll just figure things out. But I think this will pass tonight. Well, by midnight that night, I had a fever and I was screaming in my bed, unable to move. And that's when my husband called an ambulance. The ambulance came. They're like, we need to get you to the hospital. I remember that they had to walk me, like basically lift me to the bathroom because I need to go to the bathroom. But at that point, I could not walk the pain. Th- that was a 20 out of 10 pain scale. I didn't know what was going on. I'd never felt anything like that. So I get taken to the hospital and they run tests on me and they come back pretty quickly. And the doctor says, oh, they check on the baby first and the baby's okay. The baby's moving. The baby's good. We are good. Okay, that's my biggest concern. Now that the baby's good, I can go through whatever I need. Just get us out of here as soon as possible. They take some tests and they run a culture on my blood. And the doctor comes in and he looks very serious and he says, you have gone septic. And I didn't really understand what that meant, but I knew it was bad. And basically sepsis means that the infection that you have has now gone and spread into your bloodstream. It is deadly. It uh, can make you lose limbs. A lot of people don't come out of being septic. The repercussions of going septic are very severe. And at that time, they said, we need to admit you into the hospital. And also today is the very first day that our hospital has made a policy that there can be no outside visitors with the patient due to COVID protocols. I remember looking at my husband just in severe pain, just totally afraid. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Like I'm going in there alone? And they wheeled me back and I waved goodbye. And I felt so alone in that moment. Because I was pregnant, everyone was really afraid to do anything with me. And they didn't want me in the, I don't, is it the ICU or wh- wherever it is that I needed to be because there were COVID patients there. Because I was pregnant, they were trying to protect me as much as they could from this unknown new virus that was spreading. And so I was put in the triage and I stayed in the triage for several days. And... I think it was within 24 hours, maybe 48 hours of me being at the hospital. 
I remember there was this moment where I pressed this panic, like the call button, not the panic button. It felt like it should be a panic button. It was the call button. A nurse came. I was like, I don't feel right. She checked my vitals and then she pressed a button and she said, I need you to know that within a matter of seconds, there's going to be about eight doctors surrounding you. What I didn't know, it was, I think it's called like a code blue, but basically all the doctors on the floor came to stabilize me and there was this man his name was Willie I actually went back to thank him later because he made such a profound effect on me in that moment and now my life um but he was checking my heart with an EKG monitor and I looked at him and I said am I going to die it was in that moment where I really felt the severity of the situation I was having a hard time breathing. My body was in so much pain. I was shaking uncontrollably. And I felt in that moment that my body could not sustain both my life and the life of my baby that I was carrying. And Willie, this tech, looked at me and he said, Ashley, only you can do what you need to do right now this is all you you were called to this moment because you can get through it you've got to keep fighting your way through this you've got this and I was like okay okay I can do this and after they stabilized me you know I have an oxygen mask on I've been given more medicine and whatever is happening and after I was able to calm down a little bit after that I called a nurse back in and I said I really need you to check my baby for some reason, it took a long time for that checking to occur. And so a few hours later, they came up with a Doppler. And I'm going to pause for a second. And if you are pregnant or if you have experienced pregnancy loss or are pregnant again after loss and hearing the rest of this story on that subject matter is not something that you can handle right now then I am going to ask you to simply just turn this episode off and join me in the next one. So a nurse comes up with a Doppler and she can't find the heartbeat with the Doppler. And she said, you know, Dopplers aren't always accurate. Where I'm going to send you down for an ultrasound, everything's going to be fine. I get down an hour later to the ultrasound and there's no heartbeat except they wouldn't tell me that there was no heartbeat because the techs aren't allowed to they need a doctor to confirm it and I remember being wheeled out of the ultrasound and I was sobbing because the man who did the ultrasound didn't say anything instead he needed to call a doctor but I saw what I saw and then there was another nurse down there. She's like, why are you crying? We can print out the pictures of your baby right here that you can take up with you. And he looked at her and he just shook his head no. And I was like, I just want someone to talk to me right now. So they said, we'll call the doctor and she'll be up soon. So I was taken back up to my triage room with my little curtain. The doctor came in. And she basically said, we take these things very seriously. So we're going to do another scan in the morning. But it appears as if you've lost the baby. And your husband can't come. And she said, 
there are options on how you will deliver your baby, but you have time to think about it. And so we can decide that later tomorrow after you've gotten some rest. That was one of the most times that I have felt just completely alone. And I think that that moment is also one of the reasons why it is so important for me to connect with as many women as I can because so many of us have our own stories of loneliness where we just needed someone and we didn't have them and it impacts you for a really long time. So my sister and my mom actually drove to the hospital parking lot that night and just FaceTimed me. They just wanted me to know that someone was there. So all night I was awake in labor and I kept telling the nurses and thinking, I thought I had more time, like what's going on? I was in active labor pain. And the next morning, a doctor was coming in to give me a pick line, which basically is like this tube, a needle that goes through your arm so that the antibiotics, the medication that I was on to kill my infection that I had gone septic from, would it goes like straight to your heart. It goes straight into your bloodstream so that it gets there quicker. He was coming to do that. And so I told him, just hold on a second because I felt something like weird happening in my body. And um, it was then that I delivered my baby boy alone in the hospital. It was at that point that the labor and delivery nurses were finally called in and they came to get me and my angel nurse, Wendy. I will never forget Wendy. She was the first one who like really saw me in that moment. And I remember she came running in and she was holding a teddy bear and she put it directly under my arm and she said, I am so sorry this should not have happened to you, but now I am here to help you through it. And I brought you this teddy bear so that you would have something to hold on to since you don't have your baby. And they took me to a real room now in the labor and delivery center. And now my husband was finally able to come and be with me. And there's so much from that time that is just like flooding back right now because I've tried to block so many of those memories. But one of the memories is that because we couldn't have any other visitors, I was on the first floor, which feels like such a blessing now. And I had this big window. And so my mom, my dad, my brother, my niece and nephews, my sister, my brother-in-law, they all came Uh, They had made signs and they would take turns coming with their signs and they would call me from outside the window and the signs would say, we love you, Jace. Jace is the name that we decided on for our baby boy. Jace actually means healer. And after a couple more days in the hospital, we were then released into this pandemic world. I remember too, because all of the grocery stores and everything had been shut down. We came home to no food in the fridge. There was no toilet paper anywhere to be found. And I'm so grateful for the friends and family that we have who were sending things over to us because we literally did not have the capacity to go and try to hunt these things down in the middle of this pandemic. But also because I was just in the hospital, people were rightfully so afraid to be by me. So when my family would come over, we would open my bedroom door and they would sit outside so that we weren't having contact. But I just remember 
I just wanted someone to hug me. I just wanted someone to like hold my hand. And I also wish that I could have done that for my family too because they were hurting. I almost died of sepsis and I lost our baby boy because of that infection and they were grieving also. And I wish that I could have hugged them or that someone could have hugged them too. I told you guys, I'm a big ball of fun now. Like, I I am at this place that I am in my life because of my past and because of the healing work that I have opted into over and over and over again because I refuse to live in the way that pain made me believe that I would live for the rest of my life. That was not a life that was sustainable or that I could participate in. After we lost Jace, the next several months, I was in pain. I was still very sick. I was so weak. I was losing a lot of blood. And after six weeks of just being in severe and consistent pain and just feeling really not myself, going through so many doctor's appointments and so, and the doctors would tell me you know this is postpartum you might be having postpartum depression and I'm like well no die of postpartum depression and I'm grieving and all these hormones but and my milk is leaking but I don't have my baby with me like obviously but on top of that there's some physical elements that I'm really concerned about but no one could figure it out And I remember calling my mom from the couch one night and I told her, I feel like I'm going to die if nobody figures out what is wrong with me. The next day I woke up and my whole body felt like there were fire ants eating it from the inside out. I cannot even explain the feeling. I called my OB and I said, I feel like I'm being eaten alive by fire ants. I need you to figure this out. So they brought me in, did another ultrasound. Now, at that time, the tech said, I need to call the doctor right now. And it turned out that I had retained placenta that I had had for six weeks and I needed emergency surgery. And so I got the surgery the very next day, which entered a whole new road to healing. And then after months of us trying to figure out where do we go from here? We felt like we were at rock bottom again. It was like, how does this happen? Why does it happen? What did I do wrong? What could I have done to prevent this? And I went through this season of so much guilt, of feeling like the worst mother of of these stories I would tell myself, like what kind of mother ends up in situations like this? It was just so devastating to who I was as a person and then again after so much work and therapy and all the things we decided that we were going to try for another baby and then it took a while to get pregnant it took a year after that to get pregnant and we went through fertility treatments and shots and when I got pregnant Immediately, we checked for the same infection that I had with the first pregnancy with Chase, and the infection was present. 
so I'm so grateful that we had that information so that I could sustain the second pregnancy with now our daughter who's 14 months old. But at that time, it was such a trigger knowing that the infection that almost killed me and destroyed my pregnancy the first time was living actively in my body. Being pregnant after loss is so scary and I just want to validate anyone who has those feelings because it brings a level of fear and anxiety that I cannot possibly put into words. There would be nights where I'd just be up crying and my husband would wake up to hold me and I would do everything that I could to try to be calm and not cause any stress on the baby. And and I started doing these meditations where I would picture myself and my baby in this bubble of light and of healing. And that is literally the thing that got us through the pregnancy. I was on daily antibiotics. We were weekly at doctors because I was high risk. I had a high risk OB and a MFM, which is a maternal fetal medicine doctor. It's like a specialist. Um, and then I got to tell you this because I know, you know, I just shared a traumatic birth story and I know there's a lot of traumatic birth stories that people hear. I had the most beautiful, healing, sacred, special, spiritual birth experience that I could possibly have dreamed up. Of course, it was painful because, you know, it was it was a birth. But it was this moment where my soul, it was like the moment that my soul kept pushing forward for because it knew it would come one day it finally met my physical reality. And there are no words to explain that either. There were no words to explain the pain, but you guys, there are also no words to explain the joy. And as I was delivering her that night, I kept asking everyone in the room, my husband, my doula, I just had my husband and doula in the room. And then I had, you know, the nurses. And then when my doctor came, I kept asking them, is this a dream? Is this real? I need you to tell me if this is a dream or this is real, because this feels like an actual dream I felt like I was having an outer body experience but in a good way because this human who I loved and had fought for for so long and had felt connected to for so long was finally coming into physical existence and I got to be her mom no like no way like that that was such a special moment for me and it still is because I actively get to have her in my world every single day I actually knew her name from the time I was 21 years old and there were times throughout my life especially the past 10 years that have been really hard where I would have dreams about her and and she's here and now that she is here I also feel this big responsibility to be really intentional with my time, to be really intentional with my healing, to be really intentional with how I treat and and act towards myself so that I have the energy and capacity to be the mother that she deserves of me. And when she was a newborn, I actually completed my master's in mental health and wellness with an emphasis in grief and bereavement. And I'll talk about that later, but I feel like the things that I learned personally 
allow me to relate to people on a different level than I ever was able to before. It it led me to write books because I want people to feel seen and I want I want you to know that there are paths forward for you and the questions that I asked grief during the hardest times of my life and the questions that I asked about healing during the hardest parts of my life have led to some very beautiful structure and some very beautiful roadmaps on how do you move forward when life has absolutely knocked you down. And now with my master's and my education and the research that I've been able to do on grief and and what it is that people need and the words that we need to understand and the feelings and why why they come. That's why I'm here. This is why I'm here. This is why we are in this Healing Her podcast together because the her that is talking to you right now is very different than the her who couldn't get out of bed 10 years ago from the her when I was in college just newly getting married wondering if I could be an entrepreneur to the her who went through childhood trauma that I had to work through and you deserve to heal her too. That brave, beautiful, bold woman who is staring back at you when you look into the mirror, who is full of life, who wants to come back to life, who wants joy, who deserves joy, who is worthy of joy. It is time to heal her. And you can, and you are. And I'm so proud of you for showing up for yourself and for being a part of this community where we can have access to more tools, where we can have conversations about the hard stuff that's hard to talk about so that we can feel less alone in our own hard stuff. So that's a little bit about me, Ashley Lemieux. And, you know, I know this podcast episode might feel a little bit heavy and I don't want you to carry the weight of my own grief on you. I want you to know that the hard things have built me. And you know what I hate? I hate this so much, but it's also such a gift. And I talk about it all the time with my sister and my husband. And it's that the things that have taught you the most in life are also the things that you wish never have happened. But that's what grief does. And as we allow ourselves to learn from it and change from it, we become different. And there's its own grief to that, but also there's so much beauty and so much joy. And I am just here to show you and to tell you that there still is so much joy ahead of you. And I am so excited for everything that is going to take place in this Healing Herb podcast community. Thank you for being here. I feel your support. I feel your presence. I honor what you've been through. I honor your past. And I honor and support what your future is going to bring. I will see you on the next episode. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm so honored you joined us for this episode of the Healing Her podcast, where healing isn't just a destination, it's an empowering, transformative adventure. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss brand new episodes each Tuesday. 
And if you're ready for more tangible tools, make sure you grab my best-selling book, I Am Here, wherever books are sold or in the link in the show notes below. Take good care of yourself until I see you again next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.